Good morning, everyone. The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, which can be found on page 1741 of the Pew Bible. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Thanks, Libby. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. I am Luke Zika. I work with the middle and high school students here at High Point. It's really fun to get to share with you all this morning. Um, just about some things pertaining to the youth group and youth ministry and share some stuff in my heart. I have been in this job for two years. I'm wrapping up my Master of Divinity down at Trinity, and I, I'm seeing the lights at the end of the tunnel. I'm very thankful it's almost over, but it's been really good. Uh, and it's been really fun working in this job. I have loved working with teenagers. I've learned a lot of things. I've embarrassed myself maybe once or twice. Uh, but I have taken away from my time so far one, like, main takeaway, one primary lesson, one thing the Lord has just taught me over and over again, and he just confirms this in so many ways. And so I just wanted to spend my time this morning talking to you all about that, since it is the most impactful thing I've taken away from my time in youth ministry, and it's this, is that teens need more than a great youth group. Teens need more than a great youth group. When I started getting into youth ministry and God was like, go to youth ministry. And I was like, no. And he's like, do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I had in my brain this idea that I'm going to go and I'm going to make an amazing system. We're going to set up an awesome program and we're going to pack the young people in a room. We're going to pump them full of Mountain Dew. We're going to play games where there's food on the ceiling. And then I'm going to sit them down I'm going to tell them to give their life to Jesus, and they're all going to do it, and then they're going to walk into adulthood totally great. And I have, <laughs> I have learned that doesn't quite happen. And now, we do have a great youth group, and I'll say a little bit more about that, but uh, it, it, it doesn't get them all the way there. And maybe when you hear me say this, you say, okay, no, no duh. I know this. It's so obvious. For all that a young person is going through, for all the challenges of adolescence, you can't just pack them in a room for 90 minutes a week and expect everything they need to be taken care of. There's clearly more that needs to happen. And, um, that, you know, you probably just agree with that right away, but I think we still tend to fall into a similar, a similar mentality that I still fall into, which is that if there's a system set up for the young people, they're fine. Just kind of shovel them off to youth group, they'll figure it out. As a parent, and you parents are doing amazing, I hope to really come alongside you as I talk this morning and support you and say a lot of what you're doing is so great, but I know it is easy as a parent, uh, because of all that you have going on to say, okay, well, my kid is in youth group, and so I don't need to talk to them as much about their walk with God. I don't need to ask them the really hard questions. I don't need to get into it too much. They're being taken care of in the youth group. And if you're not a parent, then it makes perfect sense that you assume this as well. You probably see young people like in huddles around the lobby, like looking at memes on their phone, and you're like, I'm so glad they're being taken care of. <laughs> I, I love that we have a youth group and we can just send them off over there and the Lord deals with them and then I can just keep my distance, right? And so it's a really common mentality. It's a subtle mentality that I think we can fall into. 
Uh, but teens need more than a great youth group. You might be looking at me thinking, aren't you the guy leading the youth group? And you're talking about how the youth group's not working. What is going on? Look, the reason I think we have a great youth group is not about me. It's because the people in it are great. The students in it are great. I have a wonderful team of volunteers. And so I, I love youth group. I think it's awesome. I can't wait to keep working on the youth group here. I think it's really fundamental for a teenager to have a youth group, to have a community they can go to each week, to have 90 minutes where they're not thinking about their calculus homework. They can just hang out. I think it is incredibly uh, foundational for a young person to be in youth group. But it is not going to get them all the way there. It is just a starting point. And so where the youth group ends in its ability to take a young person so far is where you all come in. Because the Lord has made us a body, and he's made us uh, to be in all different spots of life. And what is so um, amazing about the whole body metaphor, that we're different parts of the body, and some are an eye, and we can't all be hands, is that our unity is not just, you know, gonna work through our diversity or through our differences. Our unity is built on our differences. It requires diversity. And so we come together from all different stages of life, and the Lord does something amazing through his church. The church is meant to be intergenerational. People from different walks of life, hanging out, talking to each other, helping one another. So while many of you aren't youth group volunteers, this message is for you, and I want to invite you this morning to embrace with me the mission of reaching and discipling teenagers. I want to invite you to do that with me this morning. There's um, a passage that I think is just a really great launching point. This First Corinthians passage, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. He's had a lot of uh, issues with them, and they don't totally trust him. And in chapter 9, he is defending some of his decisions as an apostle. He tells them that he rightfully could be accepting their financial support. He really could. Like, for his work, his missionary work of proclaiming Christ, he could be asking the church for their money. But he hasn't done that. He's doing it all just on an intrinsic motivation that he wants to just proclaim the gospel. And so this is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul says, I, I have no fundamental attachment, or I have no financial attachment to anyone. Like, I'm not being supported by anyone, but— Church in Corinth, I'm still going for it. I am pursuing the mission of reaching people, different kinds of people. To Jews, I'm going to do what it takes to reach the Jews. For Gentiles, I'm doing what it takes. I'm laying my life down to share Christ. And you might look at this and say, how does, you know, for instance, how does he become more like a Jew? Like Paul kind of talks about how he's an amazing Jew and he sort of renounces it and says it's not where he finds his value in. Uh, we don't totally know this, but uh, one thing that came up as I was reading and studying this that a lot of people have pointed to, there's just one line in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul talks about how he was uh, whipped 39 times by the Jews, five different occurrences. You know, I see the 39 lashes five times by the hands of the Jews. And that is based off Old Testament law, that if someone was teaching blasphemy, they could be whipped. And what Paul was proclaiming was that this crucified man, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Messiah, and his good news included non-Jewish people and included the Gentiles. So this would have naturally struck the Jewish people as a potential false teaching. So if you could imagine being Paul and saying, I'm going to go preach in the synagogues, and being met with that kind of violence, and saying, I'm going to keep going. And he went back to the synagogue over and over and over, and was lashed 39 times over and over again. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got lashed 39 times, I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> you guys are giving me plenty of reasons not to go back, but Paul continues to go back. And I think that's what he means when he says he becomes all things to all people. He is submitting himself to the process of reaching all different kinds of people. And he does so in a contextual way. He tries to relate to them. He is going for it. And he's going to do whatever it takes to reach every kind of person. And so I think this is extremely helpful for us as we think about reaching students. 
because I think this is the exact kind of motivation we should have in our own hearts for reaching teens, because teens are in a very different stage, and I think we can think about them in a contextualized, specific way. Students are going through a lot of stuff, and maybe when you hear me talk about reaching teens, you're like, I don't wanna. I try to talk to them, they're moody, they scowl at me, they don't look up from their phones, they're all spoiled brats. All right, they are all spoiled brats. Like, <laughs> it's just a fact. But here's the thing, all right? We as a society have given them some things to be a little frustrated about, all right? We've given them some things. And a lot of you remember being a teenager, you know just in and of itself, being a teenager is not easy. Uh, and nowadays, what's made it even harder is the process of adolescence is longer than ever. It's just been strung out. You are now in the process of adolescence from a preteen until your mid to late 20s. And so you are in this like very bizarre, I don't know where I fit in stage. You're not a kid. You're not an adult. You are in this whirlwind forever, making the journey all the more difficult. Uh, not to mention, uh, just, I mean, you remember high schoolers are just mean, okay? You're just at your meanest when you're in high school. And so they're living with that every day. They are being given, they are being given hours of homework every night. Uh, now college classes start earlier and earlier. The pressure of grades, um, the, the expectations just pressed down on them are growing and growing all the more intense. And on top of that, um, a young person's brain is not developed yet. <laughs> they have all the emotions that you and I feel, and they feel all the things, but the process of diagnosing what's going on and analyzing your own feelings and being like, okay, here's what's happening, and here's, here's how I can handle this, that hasn't developed yet. They're in the process of figuring that out. So all the stuff they're feeling, they're like, I don't know how to deal with this. It just becomes this big sloshy mess in their hearts. And they're like, I don't know what to do with this. So it's just a very frustrating time. It's hard to be young. On top of that, today we have given our children phones. We have said, here's the internet have fun. And like, I try not to villainize the phone things because I think it is an, an objectively neutral thing. But generally speaking, the book iGen talks about this quite a bit. We have given the young people, the Generation Z, the internet and not helped them process through how to navigate that. We have by and large been pretty bad. And the reason for that is because we don't know how to handle these things. We don't, we don't know how to have proper boundaries around phones. It's all new to us too. So we haven't really known how to help young people. And so what we've done is we've given them the internet and, and given them all the ways that they can socialize, which is now online. The whole structure of how they hang out with each other has changed. And now it's all through social media, which is just creating crushing levels of expectations. It is now what the whole game is, is trying to you know, put yourself online and, and get as many likes as you can, as many followers as you can. You're all comparing yourself. Everyone likes to put the best parts of their lives online. And so you are looking at everyone's amazing parts and you are looking at the worst parts of your life and comparing those two to each other. And you will never stack up. And so young people are feeling this just crushing weight of the expectations of the world and just the hopes that they gain some kind of approval from people. Gosh, I hope people like me. I just want people like me. It's just a longing of a young person's heart. Do people care about me? And with social media, it has just gotten to be more and more challenging for a young person to feel secure in who they are. You know, when I was a kid, if I was, you know, afraid that people weren't thinking about me or people didn't care about me, I knew they wouldn't really have a way to express that to me when I was at home or whatever. Nowadays, they have a phone with them at all times. And if people want to be reaching out to them, they could be, but they're not at least in their minds, at least compared to their friends who seem to be getting more attention. So now your phone is just proving all your greatest fears. And we expect teenagers to handle navigating all this. It's not easy. Now look, it's, this is not all doom and gloom. It is hard being a young person, but this is why the church is awesome, because you all get to come into the lives of young people and help them navigate all of this. There is real hope in the gospel. There's real hope in God's church. You and I get to participate in helping students not fall into the traps of the world, not give in to the temptations their friends are giving into, not feel this crushing weight of the world's expectations on them. 
not longing for the kinds of things their friends are longing for. We need to point them to a hope that really actually speaks to what they're going through. And this is why I want to invite you all with me to consider how you can be a part of the mission of reaching and raising up teenagers into godliness. Because they need more than a great youth group. Uh, what you might be fearing that I'm about to say to you is that you need to, like, become hip like the kids, right? Like, there's actually a really popular meme that says this, you know, how do you do, fellow kids? Like, this is, like, a really popular internet meme. You're afraid this is what I'm going to ask you to do. You're like, I'm going to have to learn how to skateboard. I'm going to break everything in my body. I can't do this. Here's the thing. Young people don't want this from you. They don't want you to try and act hip. They don't want, they just die inside of cringe when you're like trying to be like them. It is so uncomfortable. What they want from you is just to be yourself and to be confident in who you are and come alongside them. They don't want you to act like something you are not. So if you feel like I'm not hip enough to reach students, you're not hip enough, but that's not what's important, right? That's not what is going to make the difference. Um, all right, I'm just going to say a bunch of practical things because I've told you all, like, let's go, let's do this, let's reach students. And you're probably like, all right, <laughs> let's go. You know, if you're a Christ follower, then I think this is probably within you to say, well, I want the next generation to grow up in godliness and to thrive. And um, I'm assuming that's a really a part of your heart. And I know this is true. If you're a parent, I know this is definitely true. And if you're a youth group volunteer, then this is definitely true as well. Um, but for many of us who aren't normally thinking about this stuff, I want to invite you to think how we could do this. Uh, first off, we are doing a lot of really awesome things. This is not like a, we're failing and we need to like somehow get on track. This is like, hey, we're at a B plus, let's get to an A minus. All right, let's, let's keep thinking. But a lot of really cool things happening. Next week is our annual barbecue. It is an amazing day. The food is so good. The food is so good. I can't express it. It's amazing. It's like this big pulled pork potato. Ken Rosser is laughing because he makes it. Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Please come. The money that you guys are raising, it's not our entire youth budget. Like the church does give us some money, but it is very helpful because we like to do trips with the youth group. And trips are always really fundamental and, and really big in young people's lives. Like, we go to these trips, and the bonding that happens, the community that's formed, the way the Lord works, it's just, it's like one of the, the, the laws of youth ministry. You do trips, and God does things. And uh, it's just hard for parents to, like, keep up with that. If you have multiple kids, these trips aren't cheap. So, by you coming, and every year you guys do such a good job of coming and supporting the youth group. We always raise a lot. Uh, that is going towards students, and I, it's so appreciated that you guys come to that. So please come next week and support that. Uh, beyond this, though, I've seen this church do such a good job of having intergenerational friendships, of being welcoming to the young people in the lobby. Um, I have an amazing group of volunteers who do, do so much more than just the call of coming to youth group each week. They're really not the kind of people who just show up, do their job, and leave, which is how most people volunteer for things. That's not how my volunteers volunteer. They show up, and then they're in the people's—they're in the students' lives throughout the week. And it's, it's been absolutely huge for the students in the youth group. So it's been awesome to see the Lord do um, so much more for the students in this church than just give them a youth group where there's a great community. There really is more outside of the youth group that's happening. And it's been awesome to see. So I just want to give thoughts on how we can continue to embrace the mission of reaching and raising up students into godliness. Uh, the first two are just large challenges that we should be doing anyways, but they are really uh, key and essential for us to be doing for students, for students to be a part of a church that is really taking these two challenges seriously is really, really fundamental. It's really helpful. And so what are some things all of us can be doing? First, large—and this is so big, and there's so much that I could say about it, but first, large challenge for you all is be what you hope the teens are going to become. Be all that you hope teens will become. If we are not what we are hoping our kids become, they are not going to become it. <laughs> if we aren't doing it, if we aren't living it out, if we can't tell the young people, follow me as I follow Christ, it is unlikely or going to be much harder for a young person to choose to follow Jesus into adulthood. I have heard this story so many times. This story just breaks my heart. Not people who grew up in this church, but they'll say to me, yeah, I grew up in church, and maybe I had a good youth group, or I had a youth pastor who cared for me. But man, the church, like, there's just no faith. There's just no heartbeat in the people. 
The mission of God was nowhere to be found. People didn't take their sin seriously, or it was all inward focused, or there was no growth, there was no genuine love or empathy for each other. And so I just got out of it. Why would I want to become that? That's not a vision for my life that looks all that compelling. And what makes this especially important is that currently our young people are being bombarded with messages about how to live their life. And a lot of this is helpful in just trying to prep them for adulthood, but they are being told, do this and pursue this career and go to this school and, you know, be happy and make money. And if that vision that the world is selling them is of more interest to them than the picture of godliness and spiritual life that they see in the church, then they're probably going to head that direction. They're probably going to say, okay, well, there seems to be more purpose. There seems to be more value. There seems to be something better in what the world is offering me than I see demonstrated in my church. So one of the best things that we can do is be all we hope teens become. And this has been such a huge motivator for me because if, if I'm standing in front of all these teenagers every week and being like, do this, but I'm not doing it, they're going to be like, then I'm not doing it either. You're not even doing the thing. I'm not going to do it if you're not doing it. it it's, it's just so foundational. It's so important that we are all we hope teens become. Let me, um, well, there's a verse that actually talks about this. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep convictions. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So Paul proved himself. He showed to the Thessalonian church that he was really doing the stuff. He was practicing what he preached. And so the Thessalonian church became imitators. And they said, okay, if Paul's doing it, then I can do it. And I think this is just true of the way we learn stuff. We tend to learn the deepest lessons through absorption. We tend to learn the most fundamental lessons through the culture we're in, what we're submerged in, what we see happening. It, tends, it just kind of catches. And if the things that are taught are not then backed up by actions, it's just far less likely that's going to really stick. And so I think this is really the best way we learn. Let me just break this down in a couple ways. Um, first, make this a place of worship. Uh, if we're going to be all we hope teens become, foundational to this is that we make High Point Church, a place of worship. God is amazing, and he is here every Sunday. He is always with you. He loves you. He knows everything about you. He is powerful. He's high and raised up, and he's on his throne. He's the most mighty, amazing being in all the universe. And we come every week to gather to just worship him and glorify him and build our relationship with him. And so I know that we have different temperaments when it comes to worship style and, and, and that kind of thing, but if our students are seeing us just coming and praising God and coming to church with the mentality that we have a relationship with God, this isn't just rules, this is not just dead works, this is a thriving relationship, and they see that, they feel that, that we're a group of people that come in and we're like, I'm going to meet with God today. The Lord is here. I want him to speak to me. I'm ready. I'm prepared. It's going to be recognized. I could tell the young people all day long, hey, you should pray. You should pray. You should be praying. I can do a million sermons on how they should pray. Be praying. What is going to actually make the difference is that they're going to step out into the lobby and they are going to see people praying for one another. Because what does that communicate? It communicates to them that, oh, this is a church that believes God is real. And they believe bringing their needs to him matters. He responds. He's actually here listening. It demonstrates clearly that we have a relationship with the living God and that is foundational to our whole lives. One of the wonderful things that my parents did that was so great for me to see was I, my parents always had daily quiet times. They just always did it. They, they hardly even pushed it on me. There's like one time where my mom, I was like fifth grade, my mom was like, read your Bible. I was like, no. She was like, do it. And I was like, fine. And so I read my Bible. And I did it for like a day. And that was it. But she was reading her Bible every day. And I was like, mom, what the heck are you doing? She's like, I'm reading my Bible every day. She's like, you can, I was like, you can read a book every day for your whole life and learn something new from it? She was like, yeah. I was like, I thought you just read it once and then you were done. She was like, She's like, no, you read it every day and you learn new stuff every day. And I was like, huh, that's weird. So I started reading my Bible because <laughs> I said, hey, if there's enough interesting stuff in here that my parents can read it every day for their lives. They're so old and they're reading it every day. 
okay, this is my mentality. I was like, they've been reading this for like hundreds of years and they're still getting stuff out of it. There must be something interesting here at least. And so I started reading my Bible. If we are demonstrating to students that we're in a relation with God and we're worshiping him, we're glorifying him, we, just, we love him, we love Jesus, we're all about him, it's, it's, it shows students this isn't just like a works-based thing. This isn't just a set of rules. This isn't just a, hey, you're not going to have as much fun as your friends. This is what they fear Christianity is. Um, but if they see, you know, this is a relationship. It's, it's a lifelong relationship of worshiping God, of growing, finding joy and peace and strength in him. Well, then they're going to see there's something worth me pursuing. Second, take your sanctification seriously. This is on the flip side of this. Some churches will be all, you know, all frilly and, and emotional, but then there's like no depth. And some other churches will be all like rules and that kind of thing. We really got to do both, right? Like all the emotion, the worshiping God, that will motivate us to change. The fact that Jesus died for us, gave his life for us, shed his blood for our sins, and saved us, that gratitude propels us into a life of pursuing godliness. It's the, it's the only reaction to a Savior that came and died for your sins to say, well, I'm going to now run away from those sins, and I'm going to take it seriously. And again, I've seen this church do this in so many really cool ways. I've seen that rooted class. There's a class for women that ran for several weeks. Seeing that just packed with women. Uh, it just communicated to the girls in the youth group, hey, like, there's so much to learn. There's so many ways to grow. Understanding yourself and the Bible and the Lord. Uh, there's so much here for you to grow into. Like it showed the young people that we, like, we take our walk with God seriously. Uh, it's also been really amazing to see Forgiven and Free Ministries launched. These are ministries devoted for people uh, dealing with some kind of sexual sin or addiction. And I've been a part of it for the guys. It's been awesome. It's been amazing. It's just a group of guys coming together, and there's, there's not really a ton of structure. We just get in small groups, and we just talk. We say, hey, here's what I'm going through. Can you pray for me? And we listen, support each other, and guys are getting freedom. And it's awesome to see guys in this church, and women too. I, just, I don't know as much what's going on over there, but I know the guy's side. Seeing guys be like, the, the porn habit ends now. It's over. Like, I'm putting this to death. And seeing that mentality is so foundational because you, you tell a bunch of kids to say pure till marriage. They're like, give me a break. Why would I do that? But when they see adults pursuing purity and finding the joy and freedom that Christ offers, that the cross really sets us in the right direction, sets us in the direction of freedom. When they see that, they say, oh, sexual purity is something worth pursuing. God does bring life through it. It is worth it. And so I ask you, church, this might feel a little removed from, you know, maybe the teenagers around here, but pursue your sanctification. If there's something you're struggling with, Pursue your sanctification. Get a mentor. Have an accountability partner. Have your daily devos. These are foundational things. And if we're all doing this kind of stuff, the students are going to recognize this and, and sense, okay, this is a body that we are moving forward in our walk with God. Third and final one on this point. Uh, be on mission. Be on mission. I know the word mission makes you f give like crazy things jump in your mind of like going to some country where there's like poisonous snakes who are attacking you or something. That's not what I mean by mission. I just mean that God has given us a a task, a task of proclaiming his goodness, a task of making disciples of all nations, a, a task of having children. Like he's given us a mission. And the mission of God is awesome. <laughs> it is so awesome. The fact that God has not just kind of plopped us down here and said, hey, just kind of live for like 80 years and then you'll die. Right? No, he's given us work to do. He says, hey, you have an eternal perspective. You're going to be spending eternity with me. And you actually have a role in creating that eternity. That the people that you share Christ with, the people you mentor, the people you minister to, the people you pour into are going to be impacted eternally. And so I think young people, you know, Generation Z and the millennials, we love to like do the social justice thing and know what we're doing matters. And so we can lean into that because Jesus loves that stuff. Jesus is all about changing the world and doing all this big stuff. So I think on one hand, students want to see that we care about the needs of the world. We're taking seriously the problems they're seeing. They're seeing problems. They're seeing a lot of problems. They want to know we care about those problems too. But also they want to see us in a very near and personal way lay our lives down for the needs of others. 
then we want to see that our faith is actually affecting the world. It leads us into purposeful living. Again, back to students wanting to find their purpose. That they see there's a purpose to their faith. That it drives us toward addressing needs. It drives us toward sharing the gospel. It drives us toward all these great things God has laid down for us. It helps the student go, okay, this is a life we're stepping into because you get to do awesome things. And you get to pursue um, the bringing down of God's blessing on this world, bringing God's kingdom down to earth. Proclaim his goodness. You know, there's so much hope in the gospel. So much, like, all the needs in the world can be met through Christ. And so we have an amazing opportunity to proclaim Christ to this world and bring hope, bring peace, bring all that Jesus is trying to bring. And just in and on itself, that's amazing. But you doing that is doing double duty because it is also inspiring the generation behind you to do it as well. Because they'll say, okay, they're, they're out changing the world. They're doing stuff. I mean, this is why I've just loved the Jesus Lunch. If you know about the Jesus Lunch, this group, of, this group of moms came together and said, we want students to know Jesus. They started having lunch at Middleton High School. And students started coming. And they started coming in, in hundreds. By the hundreds, they were coming. And now we're launching, they're launching more Jesus Lunches at other high schools. And a lot of my students are involved in this. And they're, they're bringing their friends. And, we're, and it's just amazing the sense that, okay, there's, there's a purpose to this. This isn't just contained in our walls. This is outward moving. So, church, be all that you hope teens become. If we are doing it, if it starts with us, if we say, hey, follow us as we follow Christ, it's going to resonate with the students. And they'll say, okay, well, um, this is something worth This is something worth going after. So, be what you hope teens become. Second, very large challenge. It's so crucial. Uh, build a culture of warmth. When you are here, build a culture of warmth. This is mostly coming out of this book, Growing Young. This is out of Fuller Youth Institute. Uh, they've done a ton of research on what was really key for students. What helped young people actually make it? How do they get out of adolescence with their faith intact? What happened? And one of the most common phrases that came up over and over again was that their church, when they were growing up, felt like family. The church growing up felt like family. Young people are asking the question, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Does anyone care about me? What are people thinking about me? And so when young people, when teens come to a church and they are embraced, they are recognized, they are valued, they're brought into the community, they are appreciated, it gives them a sense that they belong. It shows them that they belong. Uh, one of the most prime example of this is J.J. Brandon. J.J. Brandon, who was sitting in the last service, he is a guy you might not know, but he, he started interning here, and it's been so fun because J.J. is awesome. He just graduated high school, and he was a part of the youth group all throughout middle and high school years, and that was really instrumental for him, and he led worship, and he did a lot of stuff, and it was foundational, but what was clearly most important for JJ, or one of the most important things for him, was that he was just a part of this church body. So many guys were coming alongside him and pouring into him, and he had so many mentors and so many guys he looked up to, and so many people who just loved him, embraced him, and cared about him, and walked through the process of adolescence, which is a hard process. And it's just, it's what has been so helpful for JJ's faith sticking and why he's following the Lord now more than he has ever, because he's kept growing as people have come alongside him. And I would love to see more of those kinds of stories happen. Young people who come here, teenagers come, and they feel like they are part of this community. It feels like family to them. A couple of practical things. Um, you know, as, as much as we can, being empathetic to the young people, I hear it a lot, like, how do you deal with those obnoxious children? <laughs> how do you deal with those obnoxious middle schoolers? And it, it's just, it's communicating to young people that they're this problem, and we just kind of want to silo them off. They're, they're dealing with a lot. So if you try and talk to a student, and they just kind of scowl at you, or just kind of give you whatever, they just give you attitude, it's all right. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, just shrug it off. It happens. Again, they're going through a lot of stuff. So as much as you can, being empathetic, not labeling them as like troublemakers or problem or obnoxious. Look, I, I know not all of you want to come volunteer in the youth group, and that's not all of your gifting. I totally get that. But we can all work to embrace them and just care for them and show them they are a part of our community. I think, too, just, you know, introducing yourself. <laughs> and, you know, when you, like, go out of your way to, like, 
find a group of students and be like, hi, I want to get to know you. You can't do that if you're confident in doing that. That could be great. But for most of you, just probably look around at the people that God has placed in your life. If you're in a pew and you, you know, next to you is a young person, say hi. When you see them around and you bump into them, when your kids have their friends over, get to know their friends. Just little ways that you can say hi and introduce yourself and get to know them. It, it speaks volumes to them. I still remember um, a few months ago, we had like our graduating senior thing where they all came up here and, and then they had kind of a welcome little thing back in the micro rooms and people could come back there. They had their little display boards up, which was like, here's what I'm doing next year and all that stuff. And I still remember Manohar James, who's on staff here. He's in India right now. He walked in. He doesn't have any high schoolers. He walked in and just walked around to every single one of the graduating seniors and shook their hand and said hello and just had a little two-minute conversation with them. And I remember seeing that. I was like, Manohar, you are so awesome. Thank you for doing that. It was so appreciated by the students that people besides their parents and parents' friends came and just said hi and introduced themselves. Those are incredibly foundational moments for young people because it says, okay, people do appreciate me here. And like Manohar's story, I've seen a lot of that happen. Uh, but just put that on your radar. There's young people around. When you see them and you have a, a, an opportunity to interact with them, please do so. They will appreciate that. So let's continue to work to make this church feel like family. Let's continue to build warmth here at High Point. I'm going to talk to some groups now. Specifically, I'm going to talk to millennials for a second. So if you're not a millennial, you can like do a crossword puzzle or something for a few minutes. Um, Millennials, how's it going? 20-somethings mostly. You all are in a really key life stage when it comes to reaching students. There's something kind of magical that happens between millennials and the Generation Z, the, the t current teenagers. Uh, research is showing that we understand them really well. Like, we understand Gen Z more than we understand the generation above us, Generation X. We can relate to them. We see their pain, and we're like, sorry. <laughs> and, and we feel it. And, and you are in that sweet spot where you're not a peer, but you're not their parent. And so you are perfect. <laughs> you are, for a young person, you are in a really, really key life stage. So all I'm going to tell you is one challenge for you all to think through and consider, and I'd love to talk to you more about how to do this, because again, with all these points, there's so many things I could say. Uh, to be a mentor, to be a mentor, to offer mentorship to a young person. Um, teenagers are coming to youth group, and there's community happening, and that's awesome, but... A teenager is not going to open up about all the stuff going on in their life in a youth group, small group. It is not going to happen. There's, there's just kind of some restrictions on that. Like there's not enough time. There's not enough leaders in the room. Uh, but yeah, there's like all these social pressures and you're just kind of, you know, you don't want to say all the things in front of even your friends. And this is probably true of in your small group too. You're probably not going all the distance of all the things you could say because you got 10 other people in the room. And so a young person needs adult friendships. Teenagers today, they need adult friendships. Some of our current context, too, is making this need even more pressing because now we are tending to move away from our extended family. So kids are growing up not knowing their grandparents. We don't know our neighbors. We don't know our extended family as well. And so young people today, they, the teens are like not talking to adults ever unless it's a coach or a, or a teacher. And that's a really kind of limited context. And so they're just not talking to adults at all. And I have heard the story many times from people, you know, my age or older, who are following Jesus and ask them, what, what helped you? What helped your faith stick? What helped you make it? It is such a common story to hear someone say, I was growing up, and it was really hard, and I felt like no one understood me, and no one was noticing me, but then this one person came along, and they spoke to me in a way no one else had. They saw something in me no one else saw. They said encouraging things to me I never heard. They told me I was valuable. They told me the things they thought were cool about me, and it changed everything. I've heard this story over and over again. And so from 20-something, I tend to hear two pushbacks on this, because this is, this is kind of a drum I've been beaten. I'm like, let's do more of this, let's do more of this, because I, I think this is so important. Uh, the two main pushbacks I get, and I understand these, but for me to talk about them for a second. Uh, I don't have time for that, is what I hear from 20-somethings. I don't have time to, to, 
you know, mentor and form a friendship with a young person and meet up with them regularly. I, just, I can't do that. Or I'm not really qualified to do that. Like, I don't, I don't have enough life advice. I don't have enough wisdom. They're like, what am I going to tell a young person? There's not much for me to tell them. So in terms of the you not having time thing, just maybe check your heart on that. If you don't have kids, definitely check your heart on that. Uh, we tend to waste a good bit of time, and I am, I'm bad at this too, all right? Uh, and so I, I, I just can't think of a better use of your time and a better thing to put in your schedule than investing in a young person, than like bringing a student through and walking through with a student the process of adolescence, which is hard and it's challenging. And just for them to have someone walk through it with them, is going to be incredibly helpful. Like, the, the people, like, people are what matter. That is, like, the work the Lord has given us. To pour into one another and help build one another up spiritually is the work that the Lord has laid down for us because people are what are going to carry over into eternity. So, I, you know, millennials, I can't think of a better use of your time. Uh, and in terms of you being like, I can't do that, I'm not qualified. You're definitely qualified. Because really all a teenager needs is they just need someone to vent to, and they need them to, like, listen and be like, that's hard. You want to go get ice cream? <laughs> uh, like, that's it. That's how disciples works for me. I'll be like, what's going on? And they're like, this is hard. I'm like, oh, it sounds so hard. You're going to be fine. You want to get ice cream? And then they go, yeah, okay, let's get ice cream. And then that's it. That's pretty much discipleship, right? It's just walking along with students, listening to them, being like, you're going to be all right. And that's, I mean, that's an incredibly huge help. And yeah, it's good to open the Bible, and it's good to tell them about Jesus, all that kind of stuff. But primarily, you don't have to have read every Tim Keller book to be able to mentor a young person. You, you really have what it takes. If you're following Jesus yourself, and you have a testimony, then you have what it takes. You have. You know their experiences. You've walked through the same stuff they have. Just walking alongside a, a teenager in their adolescence is, is really all discipleship um, can look like. I think that's what it does look like. And uh, if you want to talk more about that, like how do I do this or how do I meet people, there's, there's a lot more that can be said about that, but please feel free to talk to me. Uh, parents, let me talk to parents for a little bit. I am not a parent, uh, so this is all coming from just stuff I've talked about with parents or things I've read. And so I, again, I hope this is helpful. So many of you parents are, are doing amazing things, and I see that. I see you loving your kids so well and trying to help them love Jesus and, and, and trying to figure out what it's like to parent. I know parenting can feel really hard a lot of times. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I totally understand about that. If I can just give you three directions that you can head that can be really fundamental for your kid. Because the reality is, they are only with me for a few hours a week. And if they have a mentor in their 20s, they're only going to be with them maybe every other week or maybe every week. And so they are with you most of the time. You are where they're getting most of their spiritual development. So some thoughts for parents. One, be in their lives. Be in their lives. Uh, talk to your kids. Talk to them. It is better to at least talk to them 15 minutes a day than like two minutes a day. What is currently happening right now is parents are willing to sacrifice everything for their kids and drive them around and get them into all the different activities, but they're not really talking to them all that much. And that's really what your kid needs from you. They just need to talk to them and ask them how they're doing and ask them how you can support them and how you can pray for them. They're looking for you to be in their lives. There's a wonderful person at this church, Abby Bernard. Uh, she's a volunteer with the youth group, and I— um, I asked her once before youth group because she is following Jesus and loves the church and her siblings are following Jesus and they're doing great and she grew up as a pastor's kid. And I said, huh, how did that work? <laughs> how did you make it? And she right away, what she said instantly was, my dad was in my life. We did family game nights every Friday. My, I knew I could go to my parents with anything. I knew they loved me. They were there for me. They were in my life. She was like, that's what made the difference. And so parents, as best you can, be in your kids' lives. A really helpful book, TechWise Family. If you have not read this book, parents, please read this book, because what is driving a relational wedge right now between parents and kids is the technology stuff. So what this book talks about is putting tech in its proper place, putting boundaries around it. Get the screens out of the main hangout areas of your house. 
If you've got a TV in your kitchen, what's going to go on at the dinner table? It's, what's, it's what you're all going to turn to. If you just get it out of there, then you'll actually talk to one another, and you'll be in their lives. Uh, you can have Wi-Fi shut off in your house at, like, 7.30, and then your children will just, like, you know, emerge from their caves, like, blinking in the sunlight, being like, this stopped working. Like, what do I do? I guess I'll talk to my mom. I don't know. So there's some ways we can put tech in its place and make the rules if you got to. No phones at dinner table, no phones in the car ride, whatever. Just don't hand your kid a screen and be like, this will be fine, right? <laughs> Give him a screen and put boundaries around it so it does not drive a wedge between you guys, right? Be in their lives. I think I, all right, we'll just go there. Um, be their coach. This is uh, something from Andy Stanley. He talks about parenting stages by these different ages. Andy Stanley is a pastor down in um, Georgia. Uh, he talks about how the discipline stage is years one through five. He says if you miss this stage, the rest of it kind of goes sideways. Uh, so hopefully you didn't mess it up. But once you get to the teen years, you, I don't have anything but, like, helpful to say on that. Once you, once you get into the teen years, you become their coach. And this is like the least spiritual thing I'm saying right now. Coach them toward adulthood. Coach them in how to become an adult. It, the research is showing this. iGen talks about this. Young people are becoming slower and slower in becoming adults. They are putting off adulthood. And so, like, we got to release them into the world. Get them their driver's license. Like people, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, they're not driving. They're like, I don't need it. Get them driving. Get them, like, if a, if a job is going to be helpful for them, like, if the job thing can be tricky, get them working. Get them hanging out with their friends. Like, they're, the young generation, they're really safe. They're very not rebellious. They don't want to push back against their parents. And so let them hang out with their friends. Let them go of social time. Parents tend to put boundaries around their physical hangout time with curfew and stuff like that. But then they just give them screens, and they don't put any boundaries around how they should use those to socialize. Those should be flipped, all right? That we should be putting boundaries around their tech usage, but let them go hang out. Let them stay out past curfew once in a while. They are lacking social skills. They're going to college with less social skills because they're not hanging out in person. So coach them toward adulthood. They need it. Finally, be gospel-centered. Be gospel-centered. Teens today are experiencing this crushing weight of the world's expectations. And they are labeled from a very young age. You are smart, not smart. You're athletic, you're not athletic. So they feel like they just have to perform and achieve all this stuff. And young people are growing more and more feeling like they are being abandoned. And they're growing hostile toward it. They feel like adults have set up the system and said, hey, come do the things. We've laid out these boxes and told them to jump into them. And they're just growing less and less trusting of it. It doesn't really feel like it's for them. It, just, it feels like they're kind of being used. And so teens are just facing this constant feeling like they have to stack up. So the best thing we can do is preach the gospel to our kids. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is such good news for what teens are going through. Because what Jesus says, he says, your value is not based off what you can achieve. It is based off what I achieved on the cross. It is based off of me. The gospel, it's good news for everyone, but it is such good news for teenagers and the stuff they are experiencing. Uh, both of the household code section in like Ephesians and Colossians talked about parents, don't embitter your kids. And I think what's being said there is don't set up this level of expectation that they never feel like they can stack up to. It's going to frustrate them. You need to discipline your kids, but you need to show them grace, kindness. Show them that you care about them. Compliment the things in them that you think Jesus wants them to be complimented for. If they only hear praise when they get a good grade or do well at something, then you're creating a workaholic. You are creating a people pleaser. Their identity is not found in what they are achieving. So as much as you can, this doesn't mean having an hour of family devotions every night. But when you're a kid, when you see them growing up, bring it back to Jesus. Talk to your kids about Jesus. He is the answer to what they are going through. He is absolutely the answer to what they're going through. And so when they're experiencing problems, when they're experiencing things, say, hey, what does Jesus have to do with this? How is Jesus the answer? 
and compliment them on what they do to grow in their relationship with Jesus. When you see them be kind, when you see them be patient with their sibling, compliment that. If they're only getting feedback for their performance, they're going to assume that is what you want to see from them more and more. We want to compliment their development. We want to compliment their development. It's, it's okay if your kid's bad at math. <laughs> Okay, like they feel your expectations for them to be good at everything. It's okay. Let go of them being amazing at everything and support them in the process of growing up. Uh, let me talk to you empty nesters very quickly. I don't know if you guys know this, but us millennials, people in our 20s, love you guys. We think you all are awesome. It's like every person in Grand Crew wants someone older to mentor them. And so this is all I'm going to ask you empty nesters. Mentor the millennials. Mentor the millennials. If you are mentoring us, then we can mentor the young people. And I think what's happening here is us millennials, we've all left our parents. And you know, you guys, your kids left. So I think we should just form like new families, you know? Like the 20s of come in. And like, these are, I hang out with uh, Mark and Kent all the time, Kent Rouser and Mark Finley. They're so nice. I just come to them, I'm like, here's what I'm going through. They're like, you're fine. And then they buy me breakfast. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. And that's it. And it's awesome. Okay. So, Pursue the millennials. We really like you guys. We really want you to mentor us, but we're like too scared to ask. So please pursue us. Uh, finally, students. If there are students in here, most of them are in first hour. Um, you've probably felt like you're a part of a conversation that you shouldn't be hearing or something. Uh, if I can just say one thing to you all, you guys hear me talk enough, but um, God has given you what you need. God has given you what you need. I know in this talk, it's all, we need to do all this stuff for the young people. The youth group's not covering it. Let's all do this stuff. If you're a young person, if you're in your teen years, and you feel like the people in your life have let you down, I am sorry about that, but don't jump ship. Don't jump ship just because the, you know, adults or grown-ups in your life have let you down. God has given you a spirit. He's given you his word. Um, he has given you this community. So don't jump ship. Be gracious on us. If an adult comes to you and tries to talk to you and they're really awkward, like, have grace on them. Okay, we're trying. So recognize the stuff we're trying, but uh, don't jump ship if you feel like it has been hard. It's, there's probably been a lot of ways it has been really hard. Growing up is hard. Um, but if you feel like you haven't been recognized or noticed, God recognizes you. God notices you. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. He thinks the world of you. He gave himself for you. And so please continue to pursue Jesus. Don't jump ship just because um, you felt like adults haven't, haven't done perfect. Uh, we're not going to do perfect. Your parents aren't going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. Um, so don't jump, don't jump out of your faith or leave it because you haven't seen it modeled perfectly. Um, Working with teens has been so fun. Just a recent story that um, has, has happened. There's a great guy in our youth group. He's a junior now. He, um, he just went off to camp, and he, he totally gave his life to Jesus. And he, he came back so excited. He got to this point where he was, he was trying to figure out, like, am, am I all on board with Jesus or not? And, and everyone has to get to that point. And he, he just found someone who just connected with him and had a very similar life story to his. And he gave everything to Jesus. And he's so on fire right now that uh, he heard about a friend of his was moving away, and he had never shared Christ with them. So he said, I, I gotta go. I gotta do this. So he drove over to, the, to his friend's house, and for an hour and a half, just shared what he learned at camp, and shared how he gave his life to Jesus, and shared the gospel. And he came back to me the next day. He was like, oh, I messed up. They didn't become a Christian. I don't know how to do this. So I was like, it's okay. That's good job. That's amazing. We'll work through it. And this, these are the moments that just make working with young people so fun. They're at a place they haven't box themselves in in terms of who they're becoming or what they want to believe, what they want to live for. They're deciding all that now. So we have an amazing opportunity to walk alongside them and help build them up into godliness so that they will grow up loving Jesus and pursuing him passionately. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's, it's awesome that we have young people around us. Um, they're in such a key life stage where, yeah, they're, they're really figuring out what they think about you, and they're analyzing, is this a life I want to live? Is this, is this what I want to go for? God, I pray that we would um, take that opportunity for where they're at in life and recognizing their challenges. And we would make this church feel like family, and we would be all that we hope students become. And we embrace the mission of reaching young people. Lord, we love you. In your name, amen.